Good morning, Nashville. My name is Braden Gall, and this is the 440 for Monday, August 9th. Today on the show, Nashville put on a fantastic, if not quirky, display in the inaugural Grand Prix. Peyton Manning's Hall of Fame speech, but we begin with Joe Rexroth of The Athletic as we take stock of where the Titans are at two weeks into training camp. Let's say hypothetically I ask all of you Nashvillians about your biggest concerns about home renovations, buying a new home, a custom build, a remodel, all that stuff. And I guarantee you the answer that would come back the most is lack of trust. And my friends over at the Kingston Group know that that is the biggest issue in their industry. And it is why they have built their business model the way they have. To remove that apprehension and create trustworthiness in their process that has been successful for over a decade in Nashville. They will take your vision from soup to nuts with a budget on the front end and a process that you can trust. Go look at their website, buildkg.com, and remember the name, The Kingston Group. When you are making a big decision about your home, The Kingston Group needs to be your first call. We are two weeks done with Titans training camp, and this week they will face the Atlanta Falcons on Friday night, so we enter a game week for the first time in like eight months. So I thought we'd step back and take stock of camp so far with Joe Rexroad of The Athletic. We will hear from him about whether or not this team will be more balanced in 2021, where are some areas of concern as far as depth goes on this roster, but we will begin with the overall health of the Titans roster two weeks into camp. Well, Braden, I'd say overall, it's really good right now. I mean, I think Julio, it's one of those things where if he was going to get a hangnail, then he was going to miss a week. It's like a week per hangnail. You know, now Landry, we'll see. But I mean, the fact that those two guys you mentioned at the top are out there to me is big news. Bud Dupree did a little bit of team Saturday. Now, it wasn't full speed team, but he was out with the defense. Um, And Caleb Farley, Look, in, in the drills and things, and of course, they're going to be a little bit careful, but he looks explosive. He looks healthy. You know, the idea that you could have both those guys available for the opener, I would not have necessarily predicted that going into camp. So I think overall, it's very good. And there's no one, you know, basically, I mean, Vrabel is very closed mouth on uh, injuries, obviously. But if you don't see the IR designation, then you know it's probably not that big of a deal. So, so far, so good. That leads me into a depth question because I know this team is deeper at wide receiver than maybe ever before in the history of the organization. If they were to lose a piece, how could, are there positions on the offense, the interior offensive line? Are, are there positions where you're concerned in defense as well about you know one injury, two injuries, all of a sudden they're really thin at a position? Are, are there any areas of the team that you're concerned about in that sense? Well, I would definitely go with the interior of the offensive line. That, I mean, that's a uh... You know, we've been watching Daniel Munyer. I think he had four bad snaps Saturday. Uh, and, and it's honestly, it's gotten to the point where I think it's demoralizing like the whole offense. Aaron Brewer has not been available yet. That's a huge piece, really. <laughs> I mean, I know I'm saying Aaron Brewer is a huge piece, but really like they need him out there. Ben Jones has had a lot of injuries, a lot of nagging injuries. He's had a lot of game weeks where he just shows up on Sunday. I feel like they need another body there. Now they are cross-training guys and Dylan Radins is working a lot in there. I mean, I think they're trying to find another player, but that's a place where they can't afford injuries. I would look at, well, yeah, at receiver corner and defensive line, I would say have all had good developments in that way. Good. And we've talked about through camp, as you and I have said out there, you with your beautiful hat, by the way, which I wish you were wearing right now, uh, Racy McMath, <laughs> You know, some of these other guys, uh, it's it's been very encouraging. Corner, Breon Borders. I don't think Breon Borders, 
all these picks mean he's going to come out and be a pro bowler. But Chris Jackson, Brian Borders, like you feel okay there. And I think the maybe the most pleasant surprise there is D-line because I said no, Tier Tart, Laurel Murchison. These guys worked their butts off in the offseason to get ready. So honestly, I, I think interior offensive line is the one spot I look at. Well, I guess I would say an outside linebacker. I mean, what do they have after the starters? It's still, okay, Derek Roberson. It's guys who can go out and take snaps. Is John Simon anything more than a guy who can go out and take snaps? I, I haven't seen anything that really leads me to believe so. I agree with all of that. So having seen two weeks, we knew the defense was terrible and the offense was the best in franchise history. The, the rational human being would, would expect some sort of regression or progression to the mean for both sides of the team. I know it's just two weeks of camp. We haven't seen a game yet, but do you think this team will be more balanced in 2021? Well, I think that the defense will be better. How much better? I don't know, but Bud Dupree should make a difference. We just talked about the corner depth. I think Amani Hooker, it, it's a perfect example of you, you make a nice draft pick, you let a player develop. Now he's ready to start and be a good player. And again, I think Danico Autry is just a terrific addition and Autry and Simmons are going to be a problem for people. But I think the defense is going to be better. Uh, and the offense is just, I think you're probably right, Braden. You know, you just expect some regression to the mean. It's just, I, I just don't know what to think because we just haven't seen it. We, we finally saw Derrick Henry Saturday, 22, in the backfield, taking some walkthrough handoffs. And it was like, oh my gosh, look at him. He's huge. You know, like you forgot. It's Derrick Henry. It's going don't to be. Don't touch him. Don't touch him. Yeah, exactly. Him. <laughs> yeah, there was like, there was like a play with like Luan blocking for Henry with Bud Dupree in the way. And I was like, no one touch anyone. You know, <laughs> It's just, I think, you know, Todd Downey, Arthur Smith and Todd Downey, is that a step down? Is that a significant step down? There's a lot of things. Is Ryan Tannehill going to, you know, regress a little bit? He's thrown some picks in camp. I would, I would say that it's probably a decent chance that happens, but also I don't know what it looks like. Uh, and you can continue that and say, is it bad if you go through the entirety of camp and you just show up in the opener and you think everyone's going to click together? I mean, I think that's a fair question, too. And you wonder if it, it is important to maybe get a few reps for those guys you know, before the Cardinals come to town. Joe, always a pleasure. Great to talk to you. You look as handsome as ever. We'll talk soon. All right. Just breathe. Hey, next time, wear the hat, buddy. OK, All right. my apologies. <laughs> Thanks, bud. Always love talking with Joe. Appreciate him. Of course, follow him on theathletic.com. So the first ever Music City Grand Prix took place on Sunday evening, and it was spectacular. I took the kids on Saturday. The wife and I walked around, got to watch a little music, got to eat some hot chicken biscuits, get some fruit tea, listen to some really loud race cars go by. Not sure the three and the four-year-old had a wonderful time as we sort of had to get out of there pretty quickly when the tears started flowing because we didn't bring headphones, but that's a that's an our mistake. And I learned from that mistake and went with some buddies on Sunday to the race. And it did not disappoint. We set up shop for the green flag on the end of the long backstretch coming down from the bridge, and it was awesome. If you have never been 20 feet from a finely tuned masterpiece going about 190 miles per hour, well, you've never lived. I've been to about a dozen IndyCar races in my life, and being that close just literally never gets old. After the first two or three cautions, we moved around. We watched the action in the chicane heading up onto the bridge. We watched for a few laps as they came around turn one, a dangerous near 90-degree turn around the gas station. And then we found a gem of a spot for the final 20 or 30 laps down near turn two 
where we were in the shade. We were elevated a few feet, had a great view of the cars coming down the mini straightaway by I-24 and into that tight corner. It was the best view I found all day after moving around the whole race, and it was a great way to watch the end of the race. But I do imagine that there were two very different experiences. I had a blast because it was the first ever race in Nashville. It was an absolute spectacle, a huge party, and I'm okay watching one small chunk of the track and just seeing these performance machines fly past me at top speed. I turned back into a 12-year-old kid and I just smile while I'm standing there. But we had absolutely no real clue what was going on. The video boards weren't exactly perfectly placed. There was no real true loudspeaker or PA announcer to tell us what was happening. Basically, all I knew was that Colton Herta had the best car, but a bizarre pit lane controversy cost him track position, and he just wasn't good enough to get around the eventual champion, Marcus Erickson, who, by the way, we had no idea, basically landed on top of another dude on, like, lap five. Erickson tore up his wing, had a drive through penalty, almost launched himself into Nissan Stadium, and through a pit strategy, eventually took the lead and just never looked back. I am sure the viewing audience at home could see a lot more of the action and fully knew what was going on all over the track at all times, even some bizarre liquid spill that stopped the race for a while too. And from what I watched when I got home, the visual backdrop of the city and the river made for a really cool scene. But I'm guessing that the constant yellow flags, the red flag stoppage, the super tight corners, the weird liquid... And the fact that there wasn't a whole lot of passing probably made the viewing experience less than ideal for true race fans. But being there was a total blast, man. I had a great time. Can't wait for it to come back. And I'm sure that Nashville will work out some of the kinks. Local driver Joseph Newgarden was involved in some early caution issues and after being stuck back in the pack for most of the race, eventually finished 10th. Oh, did I mention that Marcus Erickson won the race and was your champion? Nashville SC lost for just the second time all season on Sunday night, 2-1 in Miami, snapping their nine-game unbeaten streak. And they did it against the worst team in the conference after taking a second-half lead. It was a supremely disappointing result for the boys in gold, and we will have a lot more analysis and fire-breathing on this week's Club and Country podcast, your podcast of record for all Nashville SC soccer fans, coming out every Tuesday. That'll be tomorrow. Tune in. We just don't have enough time to get that angry on this show this morning. The 440 is brought to you every single day by the Kingston Group, Nashville's locally owned custom home and remodeling firm. They're an award-winning group that's been doing work in this market for over a decade for a reason. They are trustworthy. Go to the website, buildkg.com. Give them a call. Talk with them about your home and let them create something that you not only love, but that will make you money as well. BuildKG.com is the website. That's the Kingston Group. I don't have a ton to say about Peyton Manning's Hall of Fame induction speech, but it was entertaining. A nice little jab at Tom Brady, but genuinely some heartfelt emotions about his family, of course, as to be expected. It was excellent. He did a great job. But I'll just leave you with this, his closing remarks from Sunday evening when he was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. When we leave this stage tonight, it is no longer about us. It is about cultivating the game that has given so much to us. It's about nurturing football to live and thrive another day, another year, decade, and another generation. It's about guaranteeing that kids everywhere can learn, bond, grow, and have fun with every flag pulled, every tackle made, every pass thrown, every run, block, sack, and touchdown scored. The audience here tonight is made up of diehard fans who feel football deep in your bones. 
Now, we may have ignited the fire, but you, you have fanned the flames. Inevitably, those flames will be whipped by the winds of change, but they don't need to smolder. The future of this game is ours to shape. We just need to take tomorrow on our shoulders as readily as we donned our pads before each game. Let this moment become a cherished memory. And then remember, a legacy is only worthwhile when there is a future to fuel. God bless you and God bless football. I'll just say thank you, Peyton, and thank you all for listening. This has been the 440 for Monday, August 9th. The 440 is a production of 440 Media, written and produced by Braden Gall, music by William Tyler.